What's up, my friends? Jason Menes here. So glad to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at the last chapter in the book of Acts. Hard to believe that we're finishing up this book, but we are today, and it's going to be in Acts chapter 28, where we're going to be seeing Paul, his life is now in Rome, where he's going to be in prison for several years. And this is where Luke just abruptly ends. Now, this is not the end of Paul's life. But let's see some of the areas that Luke wants to explore with us to kind of give us some insight into life of Paul at this period of time as he heads to Rome. So get out your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 28. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. So here we are. We are in the last chapter on today's podcast in the book of Acts, and this is where Paul arrives in Rome. Now, what I've done for us is I've divided up this particular chapter into six different sections. And they're kind of unique. It's kind of some weird things thrown together by Luke. And yes, he does just abruptly end. So again, it's not the end of Paul's life. There's several other things that God still has in store for him, like the prison epistles. He's still going to be traveling. And I'm going to be talking about that later in the podcast. Some believe that he traveled to Spain and other parts And there was still a lot of evangelism and discipleship in establishing churches and exhorting leaders that he still had before, of course, he is later in his life beheaded. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, again, if you've missed any previous podcasts, you can always go to our main website, standstrongministries.org, click on podcast, and all the stuff is there available for you with my study notes. And if you've never studied the book, uh, the books of the gospel, the gospel counts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I did a three-year teaching throughout those four Gospels to to give us, uh, you know, some great insight into the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. So take advantage of that as well. And if you've been listening for quite some time, I thank you guys for your prayers and for your support. Wherever you're getting your podcasts, encourage you guys to leave a review. That's always a great way. And also... As I'm recording this, we are going to be entering a new year, and in 2021, we're going to be starting a new book, and that's going to be the book of James. So what I'm going to be doing is taking in sequential order the letters that came out in, you know, that we have, not in the order in which we have in the New Testament, but the order in which they've come out historically with the proper dates. And so James was the first guy who wrote a letter to the scattered churches that we see mentioned in James chapter one. And then after that, we'll be exploring again, the book of Galatians. So look forward to those things as they're gonna be coming out in 2021 as I'm recording this right now. So with that being said, let's dive right in and turn to Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse one, where it says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, which is almost 60 miles south of Sicily. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened, that is with fangs on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. 
They were waiting for him to swell up, that's inflammation, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no, no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Again, a very interesting passage here that Luke puts into account. So let's break it down as best we can on the podcast. Now notice that they were on the island that's called Malta. So the Maltans, the people who lived on this small island that's 60 miles uh, from Sicily, that's in Italy, obviously, they spoke uh, Punic. They weren't Greek-speaking individuals and they were of Carthaginian descent. So what does that tell you? It tells you that this is a very diverse island that has had multiple different ethnic groups and tribes and kingdoms that have dominated that land, that this particular island through the centuries. Now the, the word studies in the New Testament writes this, even in the present day, the natives of Malta have a peculiar language termed the Maltese, which has been proved to be essentially an Arabic dialect with an admixture of Italian or known as, if I'm saying this correctly, uh, Gloig or Gloag. So it is possible that a small percentage at this time of Paul, of these islanders, these Maltans spoke Latin. So again, it's a very admixture of language in their, in their, um, also in, the, in their background and their cultures. Now, the Expository's Bible Commentary writes this regarding Malta to give us a little bit more insight into this uh, portion of land. Malta is an island about 18 miles long and eight miles wide, lying 58 miles south of Sicily and 180 miles north and east of the African coast. So again, just where it is strategically, you can see why it is so diverse in language and the culture itself. The commentary goes on to say it, it had been colonized about 1000 BC by Phoenicians, but was captured by Rome in 218 BC, though it was given much local autonomy. Augustus established a, Rome, a Roman governor on the island and settled a number of army veterans and their families there. In Paul's day, the island was known for its prosperity in residential architecture, and its native population spoke a Phoenician dialect, though many people knew some Latin, and some, the commentary writes, knew Greek. So again, it, it kind of shows you that diversity here. So they were able to communicate to some of these islanders to a certain extent. Then Luke goes into this point where Paul is bundling up some sticks to make a fire because it's cold and this viper comes out. Now, what's interesting is when you look at the island today, there are no known poisonous snakes in Malta. Now, because that's the case today, does that mean that wasn't the case in the past? Of course not. We're, we're not, you know, that's not to say that whatever this viper was, uh, didn't, you know, is, is a make-believe thing or in Luke's mind, it was a snake uh, and then they assumed it to be poisonous. Notice when in verse four, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Okay, so the people who lived in this on this island, 
They knew that this, again, as Luke mentions, was a viper. It was poisonous. The fangs came out. They saw it dangling on him, and the poison is there. Now, in the ancient world, this is interesting because you're thinking, why were they saying, no doubt, this man's a murderer, and then they're using capital J, justice has not allowed him to live. What are they, what are they saying? Well, this gives you some insight into ancient beliefs, including the people here in this island. So in the ancient world, it was believed survival at sea was a sign that God's favored your life. So, of course, in one aspect, Paul and many of the people on the island, they survived. They were able to make it through. And so to them, they're saying, okay, well, clearly the gods here must favor Paul, but then he's bitten by a poisonous snake. So they're saying this guy's got to be a murderer. That's why he's, they're assuming he's a murderer because he was bitten and he was a prisoner. Now, when you understand who Justice is here in context, Justice or Dyke, the daughter of Zeus and Themis, was in charge of executing the fairness in the world. So this is, this is what these islanders believe. They believed that these deities existed. And on account of what was taking place in Paul's life, they were believing that Justice or Dyke was involved in directing, again, justice you know, in, 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 a, in, in a fair way. And so if, if he was going to die by the hands of a, of a, or by the fangs, I should say, of a viper, then so be it. Justice is served. He's an evil person. So that's why when they, when they saw him in chains, it, it caused the Maltons to infer that justice sent this poisonous snake to kill him because of the bad that he did in the world. It's kind of like if you think about karma today. And that's what they believed. And I think the reason why Luke was mentioning this is because, again, one of the reasons why Paul had such favor with these people that we're going to see in a minute was because God was using these, these instances like the shipwreck and the viper biting him as God's sovereign protection. Now, they believed that this occurred to him because the gods were causing bad to happen to him because of the bad he's done in the world, again, like karma. When in fact, the opposite's true. There's only one true and living God and that God has raised up this man, Paul, who God is using to do mighty things. So when they're waiting for it to swell up for him to fall over dead and it doesn't happen, God continues to grant favor and protection over Paul and his ministry so that he can now minister to these molten people. But of course, how do they view this? Well, they they look at this and they think they go from him being a murderer to now being what to now being a god so the other extreme inference inference that the maltons have now is all of a sudden paul is a god so he's like a justice and like a dyke he's he's showing the supernatural abilities that he has now after healing the crippled man in lystra remember the people believed paul to be to be hermes and they believed that he was the, the, the chief spokesperson or spokesman of Zeus when you go back to Acts chapter 14, 11 through 18. Now, of course, how did Paul deal with that when they felt that he was a god? He didn't like that because that's how devoted he was to the one and true living God. So just like us today, people may praise you, but there's, there's a difference between them, them, them praising you for something good you've done or complimenting you versus worship, worshiping you because they believe you to be 
a deity or to be a god, small, small g, of course. So this happened because I believe God wanted to reveal to these people that there was something special with Paul. So let's go a little bit deeper now in verses 7 through 10, where Paul heals people on the island. Now it says, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man, that's the chief official, the governor of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us and showed hospitality for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and, and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him. And he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So again, this is, if you kind of, it's kind of choppy. It's like, yeah, he's giving the order which things have occurred, but you're thinking, what does this have to do with anything where Paul heals these people? So kind of a weird way when you compare how Jesus went around and he healed people. Now let's, let's, let's understand again, the players that are involved here. So now Luke goes from mentioning just the native people in general to now getting to, to someone specific he's talking about the chief official, the governor of the island. His name is Publius. So as an act of courtesy to Julius, remember he was a hired Roman centurion, Publius welcomes Paul. Again, give, give, goes back to giving you insight. Remember Rome took over this island in, 82, eight, or in about 218 BC. So for several hundred years, Rome has had this in their providence, okay, under their control. So you can imagine Publius's ancestors, his people, have had to entertain multiple different leaders in life. And so he knows what a, uh, a Roman centurion looks like. So he's shown respect to that regards. Now, Julius, Luke, and Aristarchus um, are all there, and they're welcomed as well, and he's providing them whatever they need. So he recognizes, again, remember, Julius is in a different class than Paul is. But what's interesting is how Publius is is not only showing hospitality to the Roman centurion, but he's also showing hospitality to Paul, who is a what? A stranger who's a prisoner. But given what just occurred, this is the way God is using Paul to be exposed to Publius and now to heal other people. So that's an extraordinary little insight there where sometimes God works his way, you know, with his hand of of divine power in ways that you and I have no comprehension whatsoever. God uses a snake to put Paul in front of Publius and then to heal people. And this is being done in front of now a mixed uh, you know, group of people at this island. This is happening in front of the prisoners. Remember, there's 276 people that survived the wreck that are on this island now. And so they're seeing what Paul is doing and, he's gonna, and it's gonna continue to take place. So th- just think of the impact this was having on the way to Rome. Now, the term here, chief man, archaeologists have uncovered inscriptions with this same title. In the Greek, it's protes, and, and we, we found a, in archaeology in Miletus. So again, this is important because Luke is, again, at this period of time, he is actually making mention of, of these uh, proper titles that were given to leaders in that day. And so Father 
the, the father of Publius, he was laid sick with fever of dysentery. So many people on the island of Malta, they were stricken by dysentery. That's a, a gastric fever and typhoid and malaria because of the poor sanitation that was on this island. Remember, it's only 18 miles wide or, or long and eight miles wide. And some people um, said that people were feeling sick and possibly uh, Publius's father because of them drinking from the goat's milk that they had on the island. We don't know, but certainly there's dysentery. He's suffering because of the poor sanitation on the island. And so it says there, when, he, when this had taken place, the rest of the people, after he put his hands and healed him, all these people started to come to him with these diseases. Now, again, this is a small island. So even if there were you know, several people, like 30, 40, 50 people, that's a lot of people. And again, Luke, I don't, and when I look at the passage, he doesn't specifically mention when he says the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. We don't know the number. And it says, they also honored us greatly and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So when you take into account the many struggles that Paul underwent in Caesarea for two, two years, the miserable months that he had um, out at sea and then being shipwrecked and then they were going to kill them and the, the, the fear of him being assassinated more or less when they arrived on the island. I think this is this is important going back to what I was saying earlier about these weird kind of things that Luke is kind of meshing together here in the final chapter in the book of Acts. I think he's laying this out because he wants us to understand this period of time though it was very brief and unusual, if you will, because it's not like passages that we've seen him standing in front of people and speaking about God and, and, you know, reasoning within the Jewish scriptures to a Jewish crowd or defending the gospel like he did in Acts chapter 17. I think Luke points out this period of time because in these little instances, one is God's hand of protection on him, how God is still using him in extraordinary ways, but also showing that this three month span of time on the island was a refreshing time for Paul. Given all the stuff that he went through, that he endured, God used this time to encourage Paul. And I want to say to you that when we do consider that, when we do look at our lives, and you may be in the thick of it right now, there may be a lot of stuff that you're going through right now and you're tired. Let the Lord know. It's not like God doesn't know and you have to let him know so he can pay attention to you. What I'm saying is just speak from your heart and share that with God. Because when I do look at this, we can miss this. The phrase, and they honored us greatly. You know, the Maltans, they were overjoyed. They, they, got, they got something from Paul that they, they least expected. And that's another extraordinary lesson here is you oftentimes, and I, again, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, I can overlook certain people in my life, not because I'm indifferent towards them or I'm apathetic towards them. I just don't know them. I'm not maybe seeing God do a, a miracle through them or that God's using them in a mighty way. And so I just can be dismissive sometimes. And certainly that's how they were probably early on treating Paul. They just saw him, a, a guy in, in chains. He was a guy who was shipwrecked and he's now there under, under the, the guidance and security of a Roman centurion. But come to find out, this is a man of God. 
This is a man who can perform miracles because of the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he's not a God. He worships the true and living God. So just imagine during these three months, the kind of conversations that Paul had with him. So they're overjoyed, these Moltons. Come to find out Paul is this incredible individual that they least expected that they would find out about him. And they enjoy the time they have with the crew and the miraculous healing that took place, how God was able to use Paul to bless many of these people who were sick, who had these horrible fevers, whether due to dysentery or typhoid or malaria. And, and God used Paul to, to heal them. So not only was this a time for Paul to not like relax and kick back and get a suntan, but that he was able to be encouraged at the same time where, where he least expected for God to use him on a small little strip of an island, and yet God did. And so that's a reminder, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, whatever stage of life you're in, you may not be in a position that you want to be in right now, but you know what? God's placed you there for a reason, and God can use you. So let's now look at the third aspect here in Romans chapter 28, verses 11 through 16. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island a ship of alexandria with the twin gods castor and pollux as a figurehead putting in at syracuse which is the island of sicily we stayed there for three days this was a hundred mile journey and for and there we made a circuit and arrived at phagium or regium however you pronounce that and after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to petulii which is the modern day Pozzoli, if I'm saying that correctly. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. Again, a little unusual in this passage that, that uh, you know, Luke lays out here when Paul arrives to Rome. So let's just kind of see, again, the importance of this passage because we believe every word that's here in the scripture is inspired by God. Now, I'm not saying in the terms of the English translation, but the 66 books of the Bible are the inspired word of God. So this passage here in verses 11 through 16 doesn't seem to be too significant, but let's see uh, reasons as to why Luke put it here as the inspired word of God. So notice Paul and the crew and the rest of the prisoners, they remain on the island, as I mentioned earlier, they were there for three months. And remember, they were there because the conditions to sail were they were just too dangerous. Now, remember, Julius, he wanted to wait until mid-February for suitable weather. And so this is important because as Luke is making mention of these things, again, we can see the consistent, the consistency, I should say, of him recording things appropriately in terms of the language they spoke, the titles they were given, uh, understanding uh, terminology that's used for, in, for in navigation and sailing, etc. It's just, it's amazing to see the detail that Luke lays out as a historian. Now he mentions on this ship, Alexandra, that it had in the markings of Castor and Pollux. These are two twin gods. Now it was believed that these two gods, Castor and Pollux, they transformed, they were transformed by Zeus. And so they represented 
the constellation Gemini and what what they why ships had them in this case this ship in particular that they were traveling to Rome they had them carved onto the ship because they acted as protectors they protected sailors on uh, on the sea now again this is interesting because again this is something that in, in the life of Paul it continues to counter against these false deities just like they thought he was a god he points it back to the true and living god or they thought that he was Hermes and yet he points him back to the true living God. In this case, they're looking for protection for these false deities. But what they don't realize is the reason why God's protecting the ship is because Paul the Apostle's on it. And and he had the vision that they were going to arrive in Rome safely. And he told that to the people. Not because of these uh, deities that were carved onto the ship. Because God told me we will arrive in Rome safely. Now, in verses 12 and following, these certain um, regions or areas like Luke mentions, like for example, from Potoli to Rome, again, this was another 100 miles. And this, this alone, you guys, just mentioning uh, here in verse 12, when they, they set um, out from Syracuse and they were there for three days and they continued to go through the circuit, that could have taken another week, another week of travel. Now, Potoli... The Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary of the New Testament writes this, uh, Putoli, if I'm, again, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, but it's kind of weird. It's P-U-T-E-O-L-I. And it says here that it's known also by the Greek name uh, Dikerkia, and it was located in the Roman district of Campania on the north shore of what is today called the Gulf of Naples. The same gulf was also served by another port city, Naples, or modern Naples, about seven and a half miles south of uh, Putoli, or Putoli, uh, and Campania had yet another uh, port, uh, Cume, which was located about 10 miles northwest of Neapolis. Now, of the three ports, Putoli was by far the largest and of the greatest significance for trade in the first century. This is important because when he says, after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puzzle, in modern day, uh, the modern day of, of Puzzle. Again, Luke is just saying that just, just the, the, the route that they took was a significant one. So he was, again, accurately reporting their travels. So that's significant. And then as he talked about, the, they found brothers there in the city uh, as they came to Rome. So it had been years, remember, since Paul wrote Romans, the letter, right, to the Romans, and expressed, remember, his desire to visit Rome. Now, under these conditions, it's not what he was anticipating. But nevertheless, when you go back to Romans 15, verse 22 and 24, in verses 28 and 29, he wanted to fellowship with the Jews. And now... This is why Luke mentions this, because it's showing fulfillment. He got there not in the way in which he thought he'd get there, but nonetheless, he got there. And this is what he had desired. Now, remember, word had spread that Paul was due any day. And so many Christian leaders made haste to welcome Paul upon arrival. So you can imagine people would show up to the port periodically to see if Paul had arrived yet. If there was any word and then they go back and say no not today and then other people would go there to see and then come back no not today and then finally yes he is here and there was excitement 
And when he and when we came, Luke writes, into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So again, Paul was highly regarded. And so he was given great freedom as a prisoner. Again, these people, you guys, think about it. They saw this man who's in chains, who's going to appear before Caesar at some point. That's why they took him to Rome, perform miracles. He had done things that they'd never seen anybody ever do. So now let's see Paul in verses 17 through 22, give his final defense against uh, the local leaders. It says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing, I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere is spoken it is spoken against. Now you think, okay, another interesting passage in this conversation that Paul is having with the local leaders. So what's going on here? Okay, remember in AD 49 or roughly AD 50, Emperor Claudius, what he did was he issued an edict and he expelled many Jews, most of the Jews from Rome because of the rioting that was taking place. And then it wasn't until after Claudius's death in AD 54, that the Jews then returned to Rome. So that's significant based on what we're told here with the Jews being here in Rome. And it says, I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem to the hands of the Romans. They can relate. The Jewish people can relate to some degree with what Paul was going through. And so he called together these local Jews because he wanted to see what the Jewish leaders had heard about him and to offer up a defense because he didn't know. He'd been, remember, he'd been gone for months just to get to Rome. So he didn't know what kind of messages had reached these Jews had been returning since Emperor Claudius, you know, had issued that, that edict until it was after his death that they started to come back. He didn't know what messages they were receiving in, in what light they were told in regards to Paul. And so when he said, I had nothing, I did nothing against our people. This is Paul's member, his sixth and final defense that we have throughout the book of Acts in chapter 22, chapter 24, chapter 25, chapter 26. And he's letting the people know that I did nothing wrong against our people. I didn't defile the temple. I'm not trying to start a new religion that, that um, improperly places Judaism um, you know, in a bad light. I'm not doing any of that. And then I love this phrase when he says, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. So he's, he's making a strong case of innocence by arguing that the Romans, they wanted to release him. Now the Jews have bad blood with, with Paul because as a Jew and also as a Roman, he's claiming to be a part of the way. 
He's claiming to be what we would refer to today as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for, that the prophets prophesied would come. So he makes a strong case by saying, look, the Romans found nothing wrong. They wanted to release me, but it was the Jews. So now what he's doing is saying, if you guys want to know the truth, and just because they're Jew, we're all Jews doesn't mean we just side with the Jews. They're wrong in this. They're the ones that prevented me. And you guys know what persecution is about, what Claudius was doing. Now, could you imagine if you let our own people treat us this way? That if we are innocent, that we, that we can properly defend our case. And if the evidence has not been presented the way they're, they're saying it should, but doesn't that support that I'm innocent? I mean, did Claudius care about our innocence when they kicked us out of Rome? So he, he's, he's being careful not to place a charge against his own people, but at the same time, he's showing them that there is an issue here and we need to address this. And so he wanted to clear the air with the Jews before he settled in Rome. And remember, this was so important to Paul because his hope for Israel was that they would believe in Jesus Christ that ultimately they could not find any peace unless they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so notice the Jews respond in verses 21 and 22 by telling Paul, hey, we, ne we haven't heard anything about you. We had just been anxious to hear about you coming here in this message that you have that you're proclaiming, and that's about, the, about Jesus, about the gospel. And so that's what we now see in verses 23 through 28 here is the, our fifth section here where Paul explains the gospel to the Jews. And it says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced, they're meaning persuaded by what he said, but others disbelieved or rejected the message of Paul. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with the heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And by the way, some manuscripts add verse 29 that, write, that says this, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed having much dispute among themselves. So Paul remained faithful to preach to the Jews. And I love this because he, he's trying to build rapport with them. And so he wants to ensure that he has opportunity with whatever, you know, dirt or, you know, in the bad light that they, they presented him, that he can try to work that out because he wants to present Christ as Messiah, according to the scriptures to them, like he did with other Jews in Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. And so he teaches as they gather now, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. This is important, you guys, because what that tells us is that when Paul was teaching the Jews about 
the kingdom of God. He's teaching about the eschatological reign, the future reign of the Messiah, because that was very that was a very effective way, is a very effective tactic to win over their hearts, and that's what he wants to talk about. And again, especially as you look at the scriptures and talking about uh, the Messiah. In this case, this is you know Jesus Christ being the Messiah, bringing peace. Now it may not be earthly peace in the first advent, but the peace will come in the second advent. And so what Paul does is he quotes from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And what he does is he describes the inner and spiritual blindness. So yes, you guys are facing oppression right now as I am, as a citizen of Rome, as a Jewish person who's claiming now Christ fulfilling the law as Messiah, but more importantly, he wants to recognize their spiritual blindness. And he encourages them to hear the truth of the scriptures that Christ fulfilled, not to reject it. Now, Paul not only testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, but he also proclaimed the free gift of salvation to the Gentiles. And again, that's something that was very controversial to the Jews. But this is something that God had called Paul to do. And this is vitally important when we're understanding the, the conditioning of Paul's heart in, in presenting the gospel in such a way. So let's look at the final thing now here in Acts chapter 28, verses 30, 30 and 31. It says here, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, so here we have Luke ending again. This is where he ends. He ends the book rather anticlimactically. So as a writer, you think that's a pretty, you know, sad, not this, the story itself, but just kind of, it just, it just, it just ends. And that's it. Just stressing that Paul remained faithful, doesn't go in great detail, and he's proclaiming Christ as king, and that's it. But what we what we do have, again, is that he's able to do what God has called him to do. And that's what we have to look at. As Paul remains under house arrest in Rome, in our sixth and final section here, he's doing what God had called him to do. Again, was it the way that Paul imagined? See, and that's the thing, you guys, looking at Paul as we end this chapter, it doesn't really end or it doesn't really happen the way that we expect it. If you're praying and saying, God, I want you to use me, and you start going down a road that you're thinking, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I was expecting. But if you're praying in faith and you know in your heart of hearts that this is God moving, we need to accept it and be obedient because here's what's amazing during this period of time now as Luke again anticlimactically ends here in the book of Acts guess what Paul writes during this time he writes Ephesians he writes Philippians he writes Colossians he writes Philemon now as I mentioned earlier many scholars believe Paul was found innocent of the charges and eventually he was released from prison now if you were to chart with me then, you think, well, what period of time is this? This is probably early 80s, obviously. And it, it tells us they, he spent two whole years. So probably for about 8060 to 8062, he was under house arrest in Rome. 
okay? So between 80, 62 and 65, when you look at Titus chapter one, verse five, when you look at second Timothy chapter four, verse 13 and verse 20, Paul evangelized in Crete at some point. He mentions this, but he doesn't go in great detail. And he also, based on, again, 2 Timothy 4, 13 in verse 20, that he traveled around the Aegean Sea, the Aegean Sea. And in even some scholars, and there's a lot of books written on this, by the way. And again, this is you know, kind of like extra biblical sources, if you will. And a lot of it cannot be uh, verified historically. Um, but there's a lot of, of overwhelming evidence to suggest that in between 80, 62, and 65, as he went to Crete, traveled around the Aegean Sea, that he visited Spain before he was arrested after Nero began killing Christians around 80, 64. And this is the reason why someone like Paul was uh, rearrested because he was like the, the figurehead of Christianity and of course, at that period of time now into the mid uh, 60s, they weren't going to have that. And so they were now going to take the persecution they were having on the Jews and really start applying the heat against the Christians. So there it is, my friends. I hope and pray that as we just looked through the Bible here in Acts chapter 28, that the word of God spoke to you. I mean, that is our heart's desire here on this podcast is for you to learn God's word that you, again, stand strong in his word and you hold fast to it. So thank you guys so much for watching. If you have never left a review, leave a review, tell people about how this podcast has touched your life on YouTube, like the channel or excuse me, like this video, subscribe to the channel. We appreciate your guys' support. And as always, thank you guys for your prayers. If you have any questions, you can always send an email to our ministry at info at standstrongministries.org. And I would love to help you in any way. If you have prayer requests, you can also submit them to info at standstrongministries.org and we will get to you in those prayer requests. So thank you guys for watching. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.